Well, welcome. My name is Lance. I'm the pastor here. If you're here with us for the first time or the first time in a long time, welcome home. Welcome home. I mean that. I'm so glad you're here. It's, it's so good to see you all in one place and have you all looking at me in the eyes instead of your screens. It's awesome. Welcome home. I'm, I'm really glad you're here. You know, as was spoken and sung about this beautiful morning of Resurrection Sunday when we get to celebrate the risen Savior who paid the penalty for our sin, who rose from the dead. You know, by the way, the rising up from the dead was really just the proof of purchase. I always tell people it's like the receipt that he'd bought us on that cross. And he rose from the dead. It was as if he just said, hey, here's the receipt. Pastors all the time always try to read through the scriptures and find the a little moment of what the, what, what the shroud of Turin or what the, the, the grave cloth was all about. I always tell people it's just a receipt. Just a receipt of him saying, hey, I'm not here. Death and hell didn't have its way in my life. Amen. And as a result of that, you and I get the beauty and the honor of true eternal life. Isn't that great? Amen. Come on. That's awesome. I, mean, I have a question for you. Uh, how many of you uh, ever wanted just a, a, a simple do-over in life? Right? Just two of you? There you go. A do-over. Or, or, or get this. Or um, Some of you know this phrase. Or a mulligan. How many of you guys know what a mulligan is? Right? A mulligan. If you play golf with me, you got to give me a couple mulligans. Right? A, a mulligan is basically a big fat do-over. Right? So I golf with my friend Tom periodically. It's been a couple years since my, my crazy back surgery. But, but uh, listen, I'd go out there with the, with the club, and he was like almost pro so he would hit the ball and it goes 100 miles out there, straight as an arrow. I hit mine and it's like, woo, right? And woo. And I look at Tom and I'm like, taking a mulligan. I drop another ball and I go for it again. A mulligan is basically a second shot, a do over, a second chance. How many wish you could take a do over some point in some place in some area of your life? They just wish you could call a mulligan. The older I get, the longer I journey. The more I look back in my life and I'm like, dang, I wish I would have taken a mulligan there. <laughs> Come on. Right? You know that car you bought, that job you took, that relationship you started? Mulligan. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I'm telling you, right? No, don't do that here. It's Sunday Easter. <laughs> He's with you now. Still stop it. No, I'm teasing. Uh, I would say this. You know, it's funny, isn't it? So, by the way, some of you have wanted to do a do-over so desperately that you've actually tried to bargain with God about it. And you've said, God, if only you'd give me a do-over, I would whatever, right? Some of us have those bargaining moments with God. Listen, this morning, I want to take a minute and talk to you about someone in the Bible who actually did get a do-over. He got a mulligan. He got a second chance. I'll be honest with you, I've not really talked about this particular fella in the Bible much. I want to talk to you about Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Who is Nicodemus? Join me as we pray. God, thank you for today. There's no one like you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, would you help us today to embark on this journey and find out what you want us to hear today about a second chance. Some of us here, all of us here, would love to take a mulligan at some point. You're good, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We give you a little context. If you open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 3 or turn them on or scroll over or whatever you got to do, John chapter 3. A lot of you have a Bible app. If you don't, we have it up on the screen. John chapter 3. 
It's interesting. So we're going to bump into a fellow named Nicodemus. Before we get to Nicodemus, I want to just lay out the groundwork of what was going on at this particular time in history. So Jesus, we know eventually that he, he actually fulfills about three years on the planet of his ministry. So Jesus starts to gather his disciples and do his, his earthly ministry for about three years, maybe a little better than three years. But in that process, the beginning of the three years, Jesus shows up. Most of his ministry, by the way, was done in, uh, out in Galilee, down, up in Galilee, all the way, or down in Galilee, all the way back up to Jerusalem. And most of his ministry for three years was traveling back and forth between Galilee or the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem. Right, Jerusalem was the apex, the center of religious activity. And then Jesus went around to little small neighboring towns between those two. But for three years, Jesus traveled back and forth. This one particular day, Jesus came to the city. It was early on in the ministry, probably the first year. Jesus shows up at the temple, and the Bible says he goes crazy. The Bible says he walks into the temple, and he flips the tables over, and he takes the money changers and throws all their money on the ground. It says, my house, my father's house will be called the house of prayer, and this is a den of thieves. He just gets crazy, right? So all the religious guys in town are all like, what, what? What the what? They're always like, what's going on? Right? So they're looking at this Jesus guy who's causing a ruckus early on. This is their first intro to Jesus. All they know is he's a guy who comes in and just kind of flipped the tables and got a little crazy and aroused a crowd. This is where we meet Nicodemus. So who is Nicodemus? John chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish high council. Pause. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. There's a book out there by Larry Osborne called Accidental Pharisees. I want to help you understand who Nicodemus was. He was a Pharisee. What is a Pharisee? Let me just read this quick definition of what a Pharisee is so you get an idea of the importance of this second chance. It says here, about accidental, about becoming a Pharisee. He says this, Today, when most of us hear the word Pharisee, we conjure up images of a hypocritical, narrow-minded, puffed-up spiritual leader. But Jesus, but in Jesus' day, being called a Pharisee was a badge of honor. It actually was a compliment, not a slam. Because the first century Pharisee excelled in everything we admire spiritually. They were zealous for God. They completely committed to their faith. They were theologically astute. They were masters of the biblical text, fastidiously obeyed even the most obscure commands, even when they made up extra rules in case they were missing something. By the way, the Pharisees were so, so passionate about following the rules, following the laws. Like, for example, on the Sabbath, or Shabbat is what it was called, the Sabbath, they couldn't do any work. So Sabbath, no worky. So imagine this. Here's what they considered work. This is how crazy Pharisees got with the law. They were like, work, work. You can't do work. Any kind of activity would be work. So like they prepared their meals. They did everything else because the Sabbath was a day of rest. For example, uh, if you looked at yourself in the mirror on the Sabbath and you noticed a little gray whisker, you might be tempted to pluck it out. Plucking would be like working. Therefore, no looking in mirrors on the Sabbath. If you were walking along the street and you had to, well, clear your throat and spit on the ground, spit on the ground would stir up the dust. Stirring up the dust is like tilling the soil. Therefore, no spitting on the Sabbath. They got a little crazy crazy, right? As my friend Heather says, a little cray-cray. Okay, here we go. Let's go on. The Pharisees embraced spiritual disciplines. Where their spiritual disciplines were second to none. Yes, they could be a bit harsh, a bit arrogant at times, but for most of their contemporaries, 
they took it all in stride. After all, the Pharisees earned the right to boast and look down on everyone else because they paid the price, a price that no one else was willing to pay. Listen, the Pharisees were the show, man. The Pharisees, they wore the big hats, they wore the big robes, they walked around town, they had jingly little things on their, 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 their people, want, you know what, the Pharisees wanted to be seen. The Pharisees wanted to be noticed. Hey, there's a God guy. Look at that, there's a God guy. Watch your language. Hey, there's a God guy. Watch what you're doing. Hey, there's a God guy, right? They, they, they're, they're the Pharisees, there's a bunch of Pharisees. Now listen, Nicodemus, interestingly enough, was not only a Pharisee, but of the Pharisees, there was a smaller group called the Sanhedrin. There were 71 of them. So a smaller group of Pharisees called Sanhedrin, he was one of them. And he was of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus, the Bible says in verse 4 of chapter 3 that, G, that Nicodemus was older, right? So in Jerusalem, Israel time, older people, high respect, so maybe he was, of the 71 Sanhedrin, maybe he was like uh, the top 15 or so. Now Jesus refers to Nicodemus as the teacher. We'll refer to this in a minute, as the teacher. Nicodemus was the teacher of the Sanhedrin, of the Pharisees, of the people of Israel. Nicodemus was the dude. We forget that, man. Nicodemus is just like a guy who shows up to Jesus at night. Let's keep reading. Nicodemus. It says, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in verse 2. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. Pause. Who's we? We'll get to we in a second. We know that you're a teacher who's come from God. For no one can perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him, Jesus replied, I very, I very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother womb to be, mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised by me saying this, for you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. Listen to this. Uh, you are Israel's teacher, the teacher. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things? Hmm. It's interesting to me when I read this passage because I see Nicodemus as the teacher, Nicodemus was the teacher of the Sanhedrin, of the older people, the teacher of the older people, which is teacher of the Sanhedrin, the teacher of the Sanhedrin, teacher over the Pharisees, over the Pharisees. Literally, he was the rabbi of the nation. Nicodemus was a big deal. Nicodemus shows up at night to see Jesus. By the way, this is where they got the phrase Nick at night. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Dad jokes aplenty. Dad jokes aplenty. Well done. You stayed with me. I can do this. So Nicodemus shows up at night to see Jesus, right? That was good. <laughs> Nicodemus shows up to Jesus at night, and he has this crazy question. I always think it's amazing to me as this guy, Nicodemus, shows up. He's the, he's, the, he's the pastor of the city, of the nation. And he shows up with questions. Why does he show up at night? We'll talk about that in a little bit. But he shows up at night. I can only imagine some things aren't written here in Scripture. But what was his encounter, his encounter like? When he has this encounter with Jesus, what was it? What might it have been like? Nicodemus refers to Jesus. You know what he called him? Rabbi or teacher. 
Nicodemus, how weird was that? He was the guy, and Nicodemus, out of respect, says, teacher or rabbi. See, there's something going on in Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a studier. By the way, Nicodemus didn't have the book of John. Nicodemus had the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was prophecies about the Spirit coming. There's prophecies about Jesus being born. I can only imagine in my mind's eye that Nicodemus is one who read the law and studied the law and knew the law. You get to know the Jewishness, man. And this, this guy, I'm telling you, he knew it better than anyone. He was a teacher of the nation. He might have been the, 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 the most astute, most learned of the time. And he makes this time to talk with Jesus. About six months before Jesus' earthly ministry ends, Time goes by. So Nicodemus continues to do his thing. Jesus goes back and forth throughout the next couple of years from Galilee to Jerusalem, from Galilee to Jerusalem. There's lots of miracles. There's lots of healings. People get set free of demonic possession. There's people who are blind that can see. There's people who have leprosy who are now healed over and over again. And by the way, the city is rumbling about this. There's like, who is this Jesus? He's doing things. Nicodemus, inside of his heart of hearts, is like, there's something about him. The rest of the Sanhedrin, all the other 71, the ruling leaders, the ones who were like the supreme court, if you will, of the nation, they're all like, we must do away with him. Why would they do that when they were looking for their Messiah? Can I tell you why? Because they felt a little jealous, perhaps. They felt like they were going to lose the limelight. They felt like if this Messiah were to come, they were looking for a ruling, reigning Messiah to show up, someone to, to, to conquer Rome. And Jesus came in and he just helped broken, broken people. Jesus just healed the hurting and set free the bound up. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself a little bound up. Maybe you're in need of a touch from Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you're finding yourself saying, I just need something. I don't even know what it is. And, and you find yourself saying, I just, I just, I understand why Nicodemus would go to Jesus. And I understand why he would done, do it under the, the shroud of darkness. I just want to get to him, but I don't want anyone else to know. Nicodemus gets a shot with Jesus early on. I just wonder if Jesus said, hey, why don't you come follow me? Well, we know he didn't, and we know that two, year goes, two years go by, and now it's about six months before the end of Jesus' life, Jesus shows up again in their conversation. We see Nicodemus a second time in John chapter 7. After all that's gone on, we see Nicodemus again in chapter 7. Listen to what it says. Most of the Sanhedrin at this time were super angry with Jesus, and John chapter 7 verse 45 says this. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, so this is Nicodemus and his buddies, who asked them, why, did you, why didn't you bring Jesus in? No one ever spoke this way, the guards said. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? No, but this, is, but, but this mob now knows nothing of the law. There is a curse on them. Nicodemus, listen to this, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of them in their own number asked this question. Does our law condemn a man without first giving him, uh, without giving me a trial and being heard? They replied, are you a Galilean too? Look into it. Find out what the prophets say that he has not come out of Galilee. So in other words, right here we see Nicodemus two years in. You could just see the softening. God starts softening his heart and saying, 
Because you know that Nicodemus is probably sitting there looking around the corner and seeing all these people. Like He probably saw that guy with leprosy. He probably saw that person who was healed at the pool of Bethesda. He probably saw the, the person who was demonic and got set free from demons and they were thrown into that herd of pigs. I wonder if Nicodemus was aware of all that. Maybe Nicodemus was at that place in Capernaum where, where the, the, the man was let down through the hole in the roof and Jesus leaned over because the Bible says the Pharisees were close to him. The Bible said Jesus looked at the man who was being let down on the mat and said, hey, you're forgiven. And all the Pharisees tearing their robes, you can't forgive, only God can forgive. And Nicodemus is like, what? I just wonder, it's amazing to me how God works. Some of you are here today because God has been working on you. Slowly, the thing about God is that he plays the long game. He plays the long game. He's not interested in, in, in making a quick sell. <laughs> Come on now. Jesus is not interested in just sealing the deal and making sure he gets this. He, Jesus wants to transform your life. And sometimes our lives goes into some, well, dark places. That's how we finally find our need for our Savior. Hmm. Interesting. I love how God works in our hearts when we're not looking. Maybe God's been working on your heart when you haven't been looking. Maybe God's slowly been nudging you closer to him. And you got talked into coming to church perhaps today, or maybe you're watching online and you're thinking to yourself like, ah, I just got to get off this silly thing. I'm so glad you're with us, by the way, online. I'm glad you're with us here today. I just love how God slowly begins to, I love what he says, to woo the heart, right? God just wants to, why, do, why does God do that? Wouldn't it be great if God just came in and said, all right, you're a dummy, stop it. Would we respond? Instead, he says, hey, 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 all you are scared and fearful, come to me and I'll give you rest. All you are tired. Maybe you're here this morning and you're tired. I love God just worked on Nicodemus for a couple of years. Hmm. Interesting. Our do-over buddy, our mulligan friend Nicodemus, shows up again later in the Bible. We'll get to that in a second, but just before he shows up on the scene, I want you to know what was happening. It was Thursday night, the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed. The next day, Thursday night, Judas, of the 12 disciples, is sitting down to dinner. Jesus washes Judas's feet. Judas, the one who would betray him, stands up. Judas says, I got to go. Jesus says, do what you got to do. Judas leaves and goes over to the Mount of Olives or goes over to see the high priest or wherever Judas went. Jesus then takes all the rest of the 11 disciples, goes over to the Mount of Olives, and while he's there, Judas shows up with all of the leading priests, probably including Nicodemus. Judas wraps his arms around Jesus' face and kisses him on the cheek. And Jesus says, so you betray me with a kiss? It was right after that that Jesus was taken and he was brutally beaten. He was spat upon, bloody, couldn't even recognize him, had what was called a flogging, which was a whip with nine tails and in the end of it had ceramic and metal. And when they would whip, it would literally get into your skin and just tear you apart. I can only imagine that Jesus, and by the way, they didn't care where they were whipping on the front and the back. Jesus was a big, bloody, terrible mess. By the way, prophesied in the Old Testament. I just wonder if Nicodemus saw all that. What it was like when Nicodemus saw the deal when Judas came up and said, hey, I got an idea. How about I sell out Jesus? For how much? 30 pieces of silver. That will be enough. 
What it was like when Nicodemus is like, what's going on? And the rest of the leading priests are leaving. And so Nicodemus puts his big hat on and he walks over to the Mount of Olives and he sees Jesus there and he sees Judas kissing him. He sees the money exchanged. And then, and then Jesus says, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he's standing at this farce trial, you can only imagine that the, the leading priest tears his robe and he says, you can't claim to be God. And Nicodemus probably stands there and just watches all this happen. Has that ever happened in your life? When you see someone who's gotten a chance to find hope and you stood back, when it was all over, you were like, I went to that church service, I heard the preacher say stuff, I, I, I felt my heart jump when that lady said that thing to me when I was at work, and I didn't respond, and how oh, I wished I would. I just wish I could take a mulligan. I wish I could give my life to Christ, but I missed my window. I think that was Nicodemus. I think Nicodemus sat there and he looked and he's like, why didn't I say something? Jesus is now nailed to a cross. Prophesied in the Old Testament, by the way. Nailed to a cross. Became our sin. Is the, the most grotesque, ugly thing. Nailed to a cross. By the way, we kind of get this impression that the, the cross was on a hill far away. I don't think so. I think it was in front of the hill, not that far away. And it was only about, I don't know, three feet off the ground. It wasn't on a big hill. You didn't look up to see Jesus on the cross. Jesus was right by the road on the way into the city. So people could look and mock at him while he was hanging there. Jesus and two other thieves on either side hanging there. The Bible tells us that he probably only lived about six hours. It was the Sabbath day, so they were getting ready. By the way, in the Sabbath, it was such a big deal. The purity laws were such a big deal to the, Jeru the Jewish people. I mean, you had to stop working on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath began at nightfall, which was evening. Jesus dies about 3 p.m. The Bible says the ground shook, the, everything went crazy, the, the, the world went, it was crazy what happened. I can only imagine everyone's like, what in the what? Guards go over and stick a spear in Jesus' side. Water comes pouring out. Now we see again, once again, our friend Nicodemus. John chapter 19, verse 38. It says this later, Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin as well. So Joseph was there. Joseph, we don't know Joseph much. All we know is he shows up here. Joseph is also part of the Sanhedrin. Joseph was a friend of Nicodemus in the Sanhedrin. I wonder if this was the we that Nicodemus was talking about when he said, we know that you're from God. I wonder if he's talking about he and his friend Joe. Listen, let's go on. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by his friend Nicodemus the man who earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and 75 pounds of spices. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in, the strip of linen, in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At that place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. In the garden, there was a new tomb which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. 
Nicodemus, listen to me. Nicodemus called him Mulligan. Nicodemus now sees Jesus dead on the cross. Nicodemus hears his friend Joseph say, let's, let's do it, Nicodemus. Let's stand up. Now, you've got to understand, I can't even put to picture what this must have been like. Nicodemus still dressed in his high priest robes. This was the day of preparation. This was the Friday before the Saturday Passover, or the, the Saturday Sabbath. This was the time when they prepared the meal. They did all the things. They did all the work. And then the next day, now listen, there's these things called Jewish purity laws that ruled in this day. Jewish purity laws were this. If uh, you were unclean for any reason, if you, uh, I don't know, uh, you ate something wrong or you did something crazy, you had to be ceremonially clean by certain things, right? And so uh, perhaps one of the things that, that got you ceremonially unclean to, to be able to participate in the Sabbath the way they wanted to was if you touched or came in contact with someone who was dead. Nicodemus. I just want, I should only imagine... So Jesus is hanging there, bloody on the cross. The Romans probably put the, the cross down. They probably unnailed him, and now he's just laying there. I don't know if you've ever been around anything uh, that you've... It, lifeless. Nicodemus and Joseph, probably older, bend over and pick him up. They probably hold him in their arms, and they carry him just across the way. Nicodemus calls out for his second chance. Nicodemus says, I'll stand up now. At a time when Jesus, it seemed like it was all done, it was all over with, he takes his stand right there. This is before Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus just got done with the cross. He's all bloody. Can imagine Nicodemus and Joseph, they finally wrap him, they finally get him all together, they put him in the tomb. And could you imagine what Joseph and Nicodemus looked like? The whole world knew. God knew. Everyone knew because they were covered with Jesus' blood. I can't imagine how many tears just flowed. They encountered the Jesus who just paid the penalty for their sin. And then they went. A day goes by. The next day goes by. Early Sunday morning. I didn't put this on the screens. I just want you to hear me read it. John chapter 20 says this. Early Sunday morning. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from its entrance. She ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped in and he looked and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived, went inside, he noticed the linen wrappings that were lying there, while the cloth that covered his head was folded up, lying apart from the other wrappings. I wonder what it was like when Jesus rose from the dead and he saw Nicodemus for the first time. Listen, when you have an encounter with Jesus, the risen Jesus, I wonder sometimes if we still find ourselves, maybe Nicodemus, it's two days later, maybe he didn't have a chance to go clean up. Maybe he didn't get all the blood off of him. Maybe he did his best, but he just couldn't, and he just was still thinking about the whole thing. Maybe he still had blood on his sandals. Maybe he still was a mess, and he sees Jesus risen for the first time. We have no biblical account of what happened. I just wonder what happened to Nicodemus, who showed up and saw Jesus at his darkest moment who laid Jesus in a tomb thinking he would remain there. What must have happened in Nicodemus' life when he said, I took my stand. 
I called my mulligan. I decided that I would follow you and let the entire world know. How do we know? Because it's been written in Scripture for over 2,000 years. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying to yourself, Lance, I get it. I got blood all over me too. I've made decisions I wish I could take back. I've been in situations I wish I never did. I wish I could call a do-over. I wish I could call out for a mulligan. I wish I could have a second chance in my life. Maybe your marriage is what it is or your relationship or what it is. Maybe you find yourself today saying, I just wish I could do it over again. I feel like the Lord wants you to know that today. Today is a moment when he says, listen, I want to give you a second chance to encounter Jesus. I want to give you a second chance to encounter the risen Savior. You came to church today. Easter Sunday, you're going to go home. You're going to have your ham and cornbread or whatever you're going to have. Jesus' name. Even though Jesus wouldn't eat ham, I would. Pork, didn't do that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in need of a second chance. You're in need of a do-over. You're in need of a mulligan. Maybe that's you this morning. I want to pray for you. Can we do that? Can we just close our eyes and maybe put your hands out if you're going to receive something? I think God's got something to give you today. So Lord, this morning we, we put our hands out and we say, Jesus, we need you. Can I just have you say, Jesus, I need you. I need a do-over. Right now, just if you, as, you, as you have your eyes closed and your heads bowed, what's that thing that you wish you could take back? The thing you've been bargaining with God about? The thing you wish you had a do-over for? Can I just challenge you right now to look at Jesus and say, Lord, will you forgive me? You said this a bunch. I'm certain you said this a bunch to God. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But today, once and for all, you don't have to do it again. Jesus, will you forgive me? And then fill in the blank. I thank you for your blood that cleanses me. I thank you for getting me freedom that I've always needed. And like Nicodemus, who missed his first time and his second time, but the third time he stood up. Lord, today would be a day and my friends who are here today or who are watching us online will say enough's enough. Today, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. Right now, if this is the first time you've ever done that, I want you to say, Jesus, I just surrender my life to you. I give you all of my life, all of my poor choices, all of the, the crazy things, or maybe it's been a long time. You say, Jesus, I give you my life all over again been walking away from you. I've just had one toe in the pool. I've not even jumped in fully. If that's you, say, this is the chance. This is the time. God brought you here today to hear this message, to take a mulligan. Say, Jesus, that's for me. I surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or the first time in a long time, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to think about Nicodemus. The whole, the whole world was watching when Nicodemus went over to the cross and said, I, I'll be here. His robes, his hat probably fell off, all the things. 
Nicodemus took a stand because he wanted every spirit in hell and every, every person walking around to know that Nicodemus was taking that second chance. If you're here today and for the first time or the first time in a long time, you want to dedicate your life to walking with Jesus, will you lift your hand just like Nicodemus? Come on, I see your hand over there. Who else? I see your hand. Who else over here? Come on, real high, just like Nicodemus. Jesus, I'm giving you me. We want to give you something to help you because it'd be silly for you to come to Christ and not do anything. We want to help you. We're not going to coax you. Welcome home. I'm glad you're here. I want you to come back and be a part of church. If you're here visiting family and you have a church in your area that you live, go to it. If you can't, watch us online the best you possibly can and then find a church home. Be a part of what's going on. Listen, guys, this world is not getting any better. This world is getting weirder. We need Jesus more. Come on. Now's the time. I love the fact Nicodemus went when it was dark. Can I tell you what it is out right now? It's dark. But the Bible says that you become the light of the world. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? Can you do that? I'm so glad you're here today. I pray that you, if you came to know Christ, that you'll meet one of our ushers. Maybe you didn't raise your hand. Why don't you talk to one of them and they'll give you some paperwork to help you understand how to get connected to church. Listen, God bless you. I'm so glad you're here. Have a great Easter morning with your family. Be encouraged. Take care.